Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because it's a sequel to one of my favorite, favorite? Favorite <laughs> recent podcasts uh, about a year ago. Rosalie Lewis and I did a show on underrated neo-noir, so she is back to talk about underrated neo-noirs part two. Please welcome back to the show, Rosalie Lewis. Hello, Rosalie. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I haven't talked to you in a few days. I know. The show is a a real blast from the past. (laughs) Oh, nicely done. If you are a member of our F This Movie Patreon at patreon.com slash F This Movie, uh, Rosalie and I just did a show on Blast from the Past. We're doing a whole year-long series on 1999 movies. And uh, Blast from the Past kicked off the series. So you want to be sure to get in on Patreon at the $5 level so you can hear that show and all of our other shows. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. You know what would have been cool is if Blast from the Past was a neo-noir Sure. I don't think that would have worked. I was trying to like figure I don't know out, how is that there any worked? aspect of it, but no, no not really. Not really. <laughs> not I just, really. you know, it would be cool to see Alicia Silverstone and Brendan Fraser sure. in a neo-noir together. I uh, try to teach neo-noir to my film classes, and then I will ask them, like, go home, come up with something that you think is neo-noir, and then come back. We're going to make a big list. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, they do not understand what it is. Yeah. They throw out stuff like Interstellar. And I'm like, well, no. Well, not it's um, Neo? <laughs> it is question Neo. mark? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. You know, they mean well. Somebody um, I work with suggested that The Lighthouse is a neo-noir. And I'm willing to entertain that idea. But okay. it's not what I would traditionally think of as neo-noir. What was the thought process? Um, because it's re- black and white? I think a lot of the cinematography yeah. was a big part sure. of it. And then okay. it's like dark themes and there's like storms or whatever. Okay. And listen, I'm excited that anybody at my work even knows what Neo Noir is. <laughs> or so, the Lighthouse. <laughs> sure. I am interested in having that conversation. Sure. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, we're going to talk about we each have five Neo Noir picks that we're going to get to. But first, Rosalie Lewis, have you seen anything good lately? Patrick Bromley, I have. Woohoo! Woo! All right. So um, in addition to Blast from the Past, which I rewatched for the millionth time, yes, um, I have watched a few things that are from the last year and a few things that are further back because okay. I am still trying to catch up on some 2023 stuff as it slowly but surely makes its way to streaming or I slowly but surely have a few minutes here and there to watch it. And is this stuff that you're trying to see in preparation for the Oscars or just see it uh, to see it? Some of both, right? Okay. So before the Oscars were announced, I was sort of just trying to watch anything I could just sure. in case. Okay. Now that they've been announced, I am specifically watching Oscar stuff, but there's other things that aren't Oscar nominated that I'm like dying to see. Okay. So, you know, eventually I'll get to it all, maybe in my lifetime. We'll see. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but the thing that I was going to talk about first was a movie called Blue Jean, which did come out last year. I haven't really heard too many people talking about it. Okay. Um, and it's a movie directed by Georgia Oakley, who is a filmmaker I'm not super familiar with, starring Rosie McEwen and Carrie Hayes. And it's set in the 80s. And Rosie McEwen, who I'm not just picking as somebody cool because she has a similar <laughs> name to me, but Rosies are cool. Um, she Agreed. plays a, a PE teacher named Jean. 
And she now I is, get it. I know, and it's a British film. I should mention. Oh, um, it's Blue Jean, is it? Exactly. Perfect accent. Thank you. Um, so yeah, she's a PE teacher at a high school, and she is lesbian, but she's not really out to her school um, because that would have been not the greatest thing to do at the time. Got it. There were a lot of political movements. Interestingly, unfortunately, similar to now, mm. where, you know, the, the idea of somebody being gay or lesbian was associated with being a predator of some right, kind. Right. And so there were, you know, threats of people losing their jobs if they were to be open about their sexuality. And so this movie kind of tackles like her relationship to her work as well as her personal relationships. It is a drama. It's, you know, I think... It's something that is a really good character study. It's not going to be like one of those movies that you watch and you're like learning a lot about that period of time because I think we already kind of know the basics. But she is really compelling as a character. um, And it's really cool to see her community that she has of, you know, other gay and lesbian people. She goes to a bar regularly. She meets up with, you know, other women in her circle. And, like, they seem to really provide a good support for each other during this time when it wasn't really right. easy to find. Okay. And it all kind of comes to a crisis for her when she finds out one of her students is also lesbian, which you would think would be, like, a good thing. And she can be a mentor. And the student thinks that she should be because the student has snuck into the bar she goes to and seen her. But that really just creates more complication because now she has to worry about will her secret get out, right? Right. And so it's an interesting story. Um, It's a small movie, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like a a movie that tells a very straightforward story. But I really like the performances, and I think it's worth catching up with. And it looks like it's streaming on Hulu. It is. Okay. That is where I watched it. Very nice. Yeah. All right. I will check it out. This I completely off my radar. Yeah, it was a good one. Had not even heard of it. Really good. Um, The next movie I will talk about is also from 2023, but a totally different tone, and that is Ballerina. This one is on Netflix, and it is a revenge actioner. Um, Basically, it follows a woman who is a bodyguard. Her name is Jun Jung So. Her name is Ballerina. Exactly. Well, she's actually best friends with the girl who is the ballerina. But oh. The ballerina unfortunately passes away um, under tra- tragic circumstances. And her best friend finds out basically how it happens. And there's a note that says basically like, avenge me. Oh. So she does. I'm going to leave a note like that. I know. No right? matter what happens to me. Yeah. I mean, you just, it's a good principle to have in life. <laughs> it is. And I want to know who my real friends are. Yeah, for Who's real. Who's going to avenge me? Exactly. So this definitely features excellent vengeance. Okay. Um, there are some parts that like drag a little bit when there's not like butt kicking action, yeah. but it's, you know, it's one of those movies that follows like the dark <clears throat> world of evil dudes and mm-hmm. trafficking and really mm. bad shit happening. And um, she, you know, fucks some shit up. So I like it. It's fun to watch. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and I very well could be. <laughs> Isn't there a John Wick spinoff movie coming out called Ballerina? There is. Okay. This is unrelated, That's but they are okay. both presumably butt-kicking action movies right. with and female this, protagonists. The John Wick one is Ana de Armas, right? Correct. Okay. okay. So I'm curious to see that one. Sure. But in the meantime, watch this one. Okay. It's really good. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's directed by Lee Chung-hyun. And the reason that I actually watched this at first 
was because I really liked his other movie that's on Netflix, which is also starring the same woman. It turns out I think the director is either married to or in a long-term relationship with her. Okay. And that movie is called The Call. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but that movie is so freaking wild and crazy and oh, awesome wow. okay. and bonkers. And I hope everybody watches it. That one's from 2020. I need to watch that for um, sure. I haven't seen it. It is so good. Okay. I didn't recently enough watch it to talk about it, but it has like so many twists and it's so fun. And I don't I even saw that it. other The Call movie with Halle Berry with it's the girl locked bad. in the trunk. It's not good. Well, that is based on, I think, a either Swedish oh, come or some on. other movie. And the one it's based on, I thought was pretty good. Okay. But, but anyways, not the Halle Berry no, one. Did you see the Halle Berry one? It's not the Halle Berry one. It's produced by WWF or WWE. Well, sorry. we won't ever watch that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I watched it years ago before Fair enough. some of this came out. Um, so the next one is a movie called Cure, and this is going back a ways. This is not a 2023 movie. This was from 97, and this movie is on Criterion, and it's also on the Criterion channel, which is how I watched it. Okay. Um, I was watching – I sometimes binge, like, Criterion Closet videos because, you know, why not? It's sure. a great way to find out about cool stuff. Yeah. Especially when they aren't all about eight and a half, which, I mean, for a while <laughs> they were all about eight and a half. Really? Now, it seems like it. Okay. I know that's an important movie, but well, like, I guess there are for others. Filmmakers, right? They're a little self-indulgent. Um, so. But now that they're talking to like a wider array of people, right, 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 it right. seems like it's branched out a little bit. Okay, so good. I can't remember now who it was, but somebody pulled out Cure from the shelf, and they were like, "Oh my god, this movie is so good! You have to see it." And so I was like, "You know what? I should see it. I don't know anything about it. I didn't read anything about it. I just went to the channel and clicked play." Um, it's, is it Ari Aster? No, this one oh. is. Oh, he might be the one that mentioned it. That's what came yeah, up yeah. when I okay. googled it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. he didn't direct it. No, no, no. sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was like, I see where that would be hmm. confusing. Um, this is a movie by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yeah, I don't know if they're related. I don't either. I'll be honest. Um, and it's a murder mystery, but it's also like, I can't tell if it's supernatural or not. Okay. Um, and I think that you're meant to kind of wonder. Uh, but basically, there's like a series of horrible murders that are happening, being committed by seemingly normal people. Um, and each person like ends up the same way where the, the victim has like their throat slashed and there's like an, a, a cross or an X. And then the person that killed them has no memory of why they did it, but they kind of wake up from like a stupor afterwards and like feel horrible about having done it. Sure. But they don't understand why. Okay. So it's this mystery that a police detective is trying to solve. And he also is working with a psychologist and together they're trying to put together like, what is the thing that's connecting all these murders? They kind of stumble across this former um, student who was like a, a psychology student who was study, studying hypnosis and mesmerism. Mm. And that's where they kind of like figure out like, is somebody hypnotizing sure. people to do this? Right. Um, it's a lot better than the Ben Affleck movie on this topic. Are you sure? Like a lot better. I mean, it doesn't have Ben Affleck in it. So right. that's a point against it. Okay. Um, but there's also a lot fewer problems with it. <laughs> it's a very like... It takes its time. So you kind of have to go with it on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily going to unveil itself like quickly, 
but the scenes of violence are very striking. Okay. So if you like horror or you're not bothered by violence, you know, okay. it's it's very rewarding on that level. I thought it was well done. Um, and where it ends up, which I won't go into, of course, is something that will kind of leave your mind thinking about things and mulling things over. Interesting. I so I really liked it. It was a good, gloomy Saturday morning watch. Okay. And I would recommend if you have Criterion. It's on Criterion and then it's part of the collection as Correct. well? Okay. Yeah. Another so, movie that's off my radar. Yeah. I appreciate I think, that you find these you movies. you dig it. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, and then the last movie that I will talk about is a movie that you recently watched Uh-oh. because you programmed it. Oh, right. And that is Juice. <laughs> yeah, from so, 1992. Yeah. Ernest Dickerson. Ernest Dickerson. So, I mean, really, I should let you talk about it. I'd seen it it. before. Okay. um, But it's just great to see it on the big screen. So, thank you for programming it it on Smash Cut. On the big screen. I love Tupac's performance. Like, he's scary good in it, and he's scary in it, like his character. I I wish I would have seen it in 1992. Yeah, and like seen him new and been like, oh right. my gosh, who is who that? Right, exactly. Yeah, because I mean, I can only see it through the lens of like Tupac, right. you know, which is fine. Right. I like Tupac, um, and I like you know Poetic Justice as well. Um, very different kind of movie and yes. performance. Yeah, yeah. But I think the volatility that he has in this movie and the desperation. Yeah. Is just so visceral. Yeah. And I love the soundtrack. Like, there's really good music in it. So All good. the other people that are in it are great, too. But, of yeah. course, he's the one that everybody talks about naturally. Um, You know who's really good in it? And she has a very small part. Is Queen Latifah? She is. You yes, just watch like her and you're MC like, she's a natural. Thing. I know. Like, she's a naturally gifted actor. She I mean, so is Tupac. Stuff. But she it made me want to rewatch like, a bunch of her yeah. stuff, including Set It Off, which you talked about oh, on the so last... Good neo-noir show which i think encouraged me to like buy a used dvd of it that Mm -hmm. i still haven't watched well you should watch but i've seen it really good yeah no everybody should watch that yeah yeah it's really good and i always like how tupac's character is obsessed with white heat in this movie like usually it's scarface that's like the go-to gangster flick that everybody likes but white heat was one that i wasn't expecting yeah so i remember the first time i watched it i was like i know that movie (laughs) top of the world mom (laughs) that's right so yeah it's it's really good i don't have anything profound to say about it other than thanks for programming thank you for coming uh omar epps is great in it early possibly we were debating if that was the first omar epps after the movie i think it is Mm. And he's amazing. I wish he was still yeah. doing more stuff. So do I. Um, great Ernest Dickerson direction. He had a run in the 90s that was pretty awesome. Yeah, he really did. And now he directs like tons of TV and like every big mm-hmm. show has been directed by Ernest Dickerson. So he's doing fine, but I do miss movies directed by him. For sure. Well, you know, I... Really liked Samuel L. Jackson in it this time around, yeah. too. And he's somebody who we can take for granted because he's just in everything now. But right. And he looks the same. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> um, so he's definitely discovered the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> but the thing that really struck me this time is the exchange between him and another character who's like, you can trust me. You've known me since I was a little kid. Yeah. And he's like, listen, I've known a lot of killers since they were little kids. Yeah. And that line just got me this yeah. time. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a killer. So, 
Well, just because you put syrup on it, don't make it pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. What about you, Patrick? What have you been watching? Nah, you know, nothing great. Um, that you can talk about. That I can talk about, yeah. Because as I was saying before we started recording, I've been – I'm in the middle of three different sort of movie-related projects and they all have me – this podcast being one of them. So they all have me watching a bunch of different stuff. Um when I've had time to squeeze in movies, I decided to run the Barbershop series because I had only ever seen the first one. And I, I really liked it. I have seen any of them. Um, the first two are streaming on HBO Max and the third one is on Prime. Okay. Why they're not all three in the same place, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of annoying, but at least they're all streaming. Yeah. Um, is Beauty Shop part of that universe it's or like did a it spin-off. just come out at the same time? No, it's kind of a spinoff okay. because – Queen Latifah is in Barbershop 2, uh-huh. and then I think she's playing the same character in Beauty okay. Shop, which came up on the Blast from the it Past did. episode, didn't Clearly it? Clearly it's a sign I need to watch Beauty Shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't remember Beauty Shop well. Barbershop, still great. Like, one of the great hangout movies of the 2000s. The sequels are also very enjoyable, just because you get to like the characters and the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to tell good stories but literally all three of the movies are like should ice cube sell his barbershop he's not gonna sell the sure. barbershop three times in a row they do that um the third one deals a lot with violence in chicago where they try to like organize a ceasefire uh so their hearts are in the right place it doesn't all work uh the third one introduces <clears throat> excuse me a bunch of Actors I really like, like, uh, well, I, okay, I take that back. Common, who I really like, sure. uh, has a role. It doesn't have much to do. Nicki Minaj has a big role. Hmm. She's fine at what she sure. does, but she's just being Nicki Minaj. Um, yeah. And uh, so Common is introduced as the husband to Eve, who's in all three of them. I love her. So do I. And especially in the first two, she's like... A firecracker. She's yeah. great. She's getting pissed at everybody and she's like really explosive and she's a ton of fun. Everybody's a little bit afraid of her. And in the third one, they kind of neuter her. Mm. And so that was disappointing. That is disappointing. Um, you know what she's really good in? What's that? Triple X. In the first one? Yeah. Who is she in the first Triple X? She's his manager. I do not remember okay. that. Well, all. I've just seen that movie a lot of times. <laughs> I can't pass up an opportunity to talk about Triple X, Patrick. You know. She's great in the first two. She's yelling at everybody about who drank her apple juice. Mm. Um, they're very enjoyable. It's like watching a season of a TV show you really like. Yeah. You know, that's what it feels like to run all three movies. Um, and I don't know if it was watching <clears throat> the barbershop movies or what that got me. Oh, it was. A, I was texting with Adam about. Wesley Snipes in the 90s and he was like oh I really love his stuff in Waiting to Exhale and I was like I'm not positive I've ever seen Waiting to Exhale and it was streaming on Hulu sure so I watched Waiting to Exhale for the first time what'd you think it's okay (laughs) I I think it's a movie that you kind of had to be there um it came out what in like 95 yeah Really good performances, incredible cast. Yes. Everybody who shows up, you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't right. believe. It. And it's it's a lot of people kind of before they were famous. Exactly. Um, but so uh, – how do I 
I don't know how to characterize it. It it feels very kind of melodramatic in a way. It feels like it sort of begat a lot of the Tyler Perry movies, mm. like the the energy and intensity at which those movies are pitched minus like Medea. Um the more like dramatic movies. Sure. Yeah. Um it feels like he's just doing a riff on Waiting to Exhale. I don't doubt that that part is true, yeah. but I am going to say I think it's a much better movie than most of the Tyler Perry. I haven't movie. seen most of the Tyler Perry. Okay, in movies. fairness, neither have I. It, it's better than the trailers for most of the Tyler Perry. Yeah, movie. yeah. I, I, I don't that. mean to denigrate waiting Listen, to exhale. Yeah, I do think when I so I saw it last year, I think for the first time, okay. and it, by that point, of course, I'd seen you know the scene with the car a million times where where she, she lights it on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that wasn't a surprise. And I'm sure, like, seeing that in the theater, not knowing that's going to happen. Sure. Huge deal. Especially right in now, 1995. Right now, literally right. waiting for a waiting exhale for that moment, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but I still remember, like, thinking the soundtrack was really good. Sure. Loving the chemistry between especially the, the women in it. Yeah. You know, and feeling like there aren't a lot of movies made like that anymore. Or, you know, if they are, they aren't as high quality is that so yeah i mean it was definitely... i hear you that it's melodramatic it is but i feel like that's also like a genre of movie that doesn't get a big budget anymore and you don't tend to get superstars most definitely and maybe that gets filtered into like prestige tv right and it was i mean a, a legitimate phenomenon yeah and i get it for the reasons that you're saying like it's serving an underserved audience at a time when they're even more underserved You've got huge stars in it. Forrest Whitaker directing it, like, I think tonally he's kind of all over the place. Mm. Uh, not that he's a bad director, but I just think he's a weird choice for, to direct it uh, because it veers from, like, broad comedy to, like, insane melodrama, sometimes in the span of, like, two scenes. I thought some of the storylines were a lot more compelling than others. I... I I felt for Angela Bassett mm -hmm. as uh, as the the son of a divorced mother whose dad didn't help out much. Sure. Watching it with Erica, she's in, in a similar situation. So we're like, how did our moms ever watch this movie? Mm -hmm. um, but then I also felt, and I love Angela Bassett, love Angela Bassett. But like, I felt like every one of her scenes was kind of hitting that same note over and over again yeah. until we get to the Wesley Snipes stuff, which is amazing. Yes. Um, the storyline I feel like I liked the most was the Loretta Devine, Gregory Hines stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so like nice. Yeah. Uh, because the Whitney Houston stuff, I was like, eh. And I like uh, Lila Roshan a lot. Yeah. Um, her stuff was fine. I mean, because I like her, but yeah, it was it was just kind of a. Maybe more of a mixed bag than I was expecting because I was coming at it, you know, 30 years too late right. as a cultural institution and a phenomenon yeah. as opposed to just like a movie. Right. And I do want – I mean I do wonder what it was like for, you know, a stay-at-home mom to watch that movie in the 90s that has put up with a lot of shit from her right. husband or boyfriend or whatever. Right? right. Like it probably did hit different back then than it hits now yeah. for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. But I did I did like it. I don't know if it's something I would watch over and over again, but I enjoyed yeah. watching yeah. that one. 
I think I liked the barbershop movies more hmm. than I liked Waiting to Exhale. Now I have to watch those. I'm excited. They're good. They're really good. I like a good hangout. hangout. Yeah, yeah, they're such hangout movies. Yeah. Uh, and then the last movie I'll talk about is Overlord from 2018, uh, which I had never seen. Have you seen it? I haven't. It was a big box office phenomenon, I remember, at was the it? time. And people were surprised at how well it did. Okay. Uh, it came up on the – I don't remember if we were still recording – it came up between me and Heather last week when we did the Toby Hooper show, and I don't know if it made the show or if it was after we stopped recording. And she was like, how have you never seen Overlord? And I was like, I don't know. I just never did. Yeah. Um, at one point, I know it was rumored to be like a secret Cloverfield movie, maybe oh. because J.J. Abrams was producing it. I had not heard that. Yeah. I thought, again, it was like, okay. Yeah. You know, I-, I liked the idea of like these American soldiers – uh, trying to put a stop to secret Nazi experiments. Like, mm-hmm. that's a hook that's always going to grab me. Yeah. The execution, I thought, was, like, decent. Yeah. You know. Fair enough. I don't have a lot else to say about yeah. it. but. Well, maybe I'll watch it sometime. <laughs> I think Is it streaming somewhere? It's probably... I, I had a Blu-ray that I bought for, like, $5 one time. Which was all the more reason to be like, sure. why haven't I seen this? It's a yeah. recent horror movie that I that own, I own. <laughs> that I for some reason have not watched. I'm yeah. looking up to see. It was on Hulu for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a show. That's a movie. There we go. Looks like maybe Paramount Plus. Hmm. Well, I canceled it, but. <laughs> so did I. Somebody out there can watch it. And remember last week on the Patreon show, not to pull back the curtain but i said like one of the reasons i canceled it was because it didn't have mission impossible and then they added mission impossible (laughs) (laughs) like by like friday i think we recorded our show thursday i opened it friday because i was like looking for something to stream and uh mission impossible dead reckoning now on paramount plus well somebody from paramount plus is clearly listening to our patreon shows a-holes yeah (laughs) let's get into our underrated neo-noir um, I was going to run down what we picked last time, but I don't remember. I don't fully <laughs> so, remember. I maybe remember a couple. I know uh, Set It Off was one. Set It Off was one. I also talked about The Underneath, yeah, I believe. that was one. Um, And then I'm trying to remember what the other ones were. Uh, Best Seller maybe was one of mine. Nice pull, yeah. Um, And then I think maybe A Simple Plan. Amazing, yeah. I don't remember my fifth. Jesus, that was good, though. That was four. Let me see if I could do my... F- I can, there's no way. Black Widow. Yeah, you did talk about Black Widow. That's the only one I can remember. You talked about <laughs> Killing Them Softly. Killing Them Softly. Because the um, that blonde movie rules. or whatever, that stupid uh, other movie that that dude directed had come out. Oh, that's right. Did you yeah. ever end up seeing no, that? I didn't. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I'm trying to remember what else you had. You had other good ones on your list for sure because I remember Ta-da! being like, no, you did for sure. Um, but I didn't do my homework before. No, you're fine. So. I didn't either. Uh, so I should have and I didn't. Um, so It'd let's be funny talk if about... we named some of the same ones. <laughs> we aren't going to. No, I'm I don't think sure. so. I don't think so. Um, you can go ahead and go first. You're the guest. Thanks. Uh, I'm just pulling up my list here. 
Okay. So um, the first one that I will talk about is one that I watched like this weekend. Okay. Um, so very new to me. Yeah. But uh, oh, the first time watch. Yeah. First time watch. I told you I like to take a chance. Sometimes. I love it. I love it. Um, it's actually been on my watch list for a while, and that is Ripley's Game. This is from 2002, and it stars the ever so wonderful John Malkovich yeah. um, as Tom Ripley. So same character as the talented Mr. Ripley that most people are more familiar with, probably. Sure. And this is based on the third novel from Patricia Highsmith in that series, which is also called Ripley's Game. Um, Vim Vendors made this originally back in the 70s as The American Friend. Which I've seen. Which is really good. How did I not know that was a Ripley movie? Yeah, it's sort of like uh, downplayed, I would say, a little okay. bit. Okay, okay. Um, they don't really, like, Dennis Hopper is Ripley. Wow. Yeah. So, Dennis Hopper, kind of a different energy than John Malkovich. <laughs> John Malkovich, kind of a different energy than Matt Damon. Damn, uh, also a different energy than Alain Delon, who played, you know, Ripley in A Purple Noon. Which is the French version of Talented Mr. Ripley. And I've never seen Purple Noon. It's really good. Yeah. It's really sexy. I'm sure. Um, Alain Delon. I have him on my wall. He Anyways. Has him and Matt Damon, young Matt Damon. Similar energy. Similar energy. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but so this version of Ripley is older, is married, is very successful and wealthy, has been up to his killing people antics without abatement for quite some time. Okay. And seems to not be deterred by anything. Um, and in this movie, he is an art dealer. Uh, that's one of his many fun little occupations. So, along with murder. Along with murder. Okay. And um, he comes into contact with uh, a guy who is like an art framer, like literally just like doing the framing for art pieces um, in this little shop in Italy. And this guy is British. And um, there's some like backstory basically – this guy seems to not think super highly of Ripley because he's heard rumors about Ripley kind of being uh, not the greatest person, I guess. Okay. And so at, there's a, a birthday party. He says some unkind things about Ripley, and then Ripley walks into the room and hears them. So he kind of has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about this guy. And then an opportunity for murder comes up. I say opportunity like it's like a once in a lifetime shot. <laughs> um, but basically a bad dude that John Malkovich is hanging out with, played by Ray Winstone, who we love or we should. Going to come up in a little bit. Good. Yeah. Um, he Ray Winstone needs some dudes knocked off and he wants Ripley to do it. And Ripley's like, I'm too obvious. Let's have a Patsy do it. So they decide to try to get this other guy, the framer, to do the job. Um, and that guy is played by Doug Ray Scott. Okay. Who I who mostly know, yeah, I mostly know him as the guy from Ever After. He's Prince Charming in that. So, Mission Impossible Two. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's why he couldn't be Wolverine. He's not like the greatest actor. No, he is not. And imagine if we had had him as Wolverine I, instead of that Hugh Jackman. Been, I mean, good for him if he's listening. Um, <laughs> he is. He now works for Paramount Plus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a huge crush on him in Ever After. Not quite as much in this one. All right, shush. Ever After was, um, I think, the first movie that Erica and I saw alone. Ooh. Like, without a group of friends, because yeah. we were always with a group of friends that summer. And we weren't dating or anything, mm -hmm. but it was just the two of us. And it's a very romantic movie to see alone with a pretty girl. Clearly it worked out. It Here we are did. 20 years later. So. Yes. Well, I'm pretty sure that I heard Erica wooed you by throwing apples at your head and knocking you off your horse. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I don't have that horse anymore. Yeah. I I literally remember zero seconds of Ever After. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. All right. All right. So Ripley's Game. Um, It's directed by Liliana Cavani, who is more well-known for having directed The Night Porter, a movie I haven't seen, but I understand to be controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, it's interesting because it's like set in Italy so you're getting a little bit of a different um, well I think the other one was too the other Ripley movies now that I think about it either no that was France okay anyways it's me Ripley it's Europe okay they're pretty over there <laughs> um, but this movie is interesting it's not like a traditional noir in the sense of like people having a lot of like dark moody interludes but there is death and and there is deception the opportunity for murder opportunity for murder um and i should also mention that doug ray scott's character is um has a cancer diagnosis or some sort of disease i think it's either cancer or leukemia and so that's one of the other reasons why they decide he'd be good at like killing people because they're like we'll give him a bunch of money he's gonna die anyways this way he can leave his wife and his kid with like some money so he amazingly goes for it, um, partly because they sort of, you know, Ray Winstone themselves into convincing him because he's kind of, you know, convincing in a, a meanish way. Yeah. Um, and also because his wife is played by Lena Headey and who wouldn't want to leave her a bunch of money and make sure, sure that she's well taken care of after sure. you're gone. So there's some fun scenes. There's a um, scene of a shooting in a insect exhibit at an at a museum. Okay. So that's interesting and unusual. I hadn't seen that before in a no. movie. There's a almost comic scene of multiple people getting assassinated on a train. What? I know. I mean, this movie sounds bananas. It's bananas. It's really <laughs> fun. John Malkovich is so Malkovich and so fun in this. Um at one point he's like talking to his underling and he's like well i'm not the one with the earring and you know just like you know very like stuck up and, and right. like condescending and great does he use oreos as a tell at any point he does not disappointingly oh, i know like you know he's gonna kill you if he listens to the oreo <laughs> do you have my money yes <laughs> oh also a great movie um but yeah, I really, John Dahl. Yeah, John Dahl, who we decided we weren't <laughs> going to talk about. <laughs> he did come up. He got to talk about Dahl. He's such a doll. Um, <laughs> another interesting thing about this movie, I'm all over the place with it, but That's another okay. thing I liked about this movie is the score, which is by Ennio Morricone. Ooh, nice. You always love it when there's a Morricone score. Yeah. This one is very fun. And um, Ripley's wife is really into like baroque instruments. So they get a, an old harpsichord and that gets played in the movie and that's fun. Um, the set decoration is really amazing because it's like all these Italian villas and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really cool atmosphere. It's unexpected. I love seeing a different side of Tom Ripley. Mm-hmm. I read the book and I love the book, but I think that both movie adaptations are a little bit better than the book. In interesting. This case, which I don't usually say. Okay. But in this case, I think both of them bring something interesting that the book didn't have. Okay. So... Yeah, I would recommend it. Ripley's I will game. check it out. Is it? Uh... It is streaming. Okay. Well, I should say it's rentable. Oh, streaming. that's fine. I think it was like two ninety nine or something. So that's fine. worth it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my first pick. 
What Did about you? it get a theatrical release? I don't remember um, it playing theaters. Like it's been on my radar for years because it because of the video release, but right. I don't remember it ever playing theaters. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't it, either. Maybe it was one of those things because it was like partly made in Italy and partly made in the U.S. Maybe they, you know, only had a limited theatrical sure. window or something. Okay, I'm not sure. Um, I will start with the uh, the movie that I was. Almost finished watching. It took me all day to finish watching this movie, and you'll understand why. But uh, mostly because I was busy. But it's a lot of movie. Um, also has a Morricone score hmm. from 1997. It is Oliver Stone's U-Turn. Fun with Sean Penn as uh, the Patsy uh, and Jennifer Lopez as the femme fatale, which is kind of what brought me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen it in theaters in 97. I remember not loving it because I think I went into it with an idea of what an Oliver Stone movie should be. And this was not it. This was like him kind of goofing around and having fun. And So it's not Platoon is what you're telling me? It's not Platoon. Uh, he, he puts way too much movie into it. Like there's still a lot of Oliver Stone in it because it's exhausting. But – it's not like so self-important. Mm-hmm. He seems to be enjoying himself maybe for the first time ever as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, so I didn't love it at the time. And with distance, I've been able to appreciate it a lot more. Uh, the cast is incredible. In addition to Sean Penn and Jennifer Lopez, you have Nick Nolte <clears throat> as kind of the, as Jennifer Lopez's husband who, she wants him dead. He wants her dead. Sean Penn is supposed to take them both out. Uh, Powers Booth as the town cop. Billy Bob Thornton as like an inbred mechanic. Claire Danes and a young Joaquin Phoenix as like goofball lovers. Julie Haggerty runs the diner. Oh my goodness. Liv Tyler shows up for no good reason. Lori Metcalf is working the train station or the bus station. Um I feel like I'm forgetting a couple of big names. but I think you're going to have to do the rest of this podcast yourself because I'm going to go upstairs and watch this movie. The last eight minutes are queued <laughs> up. Don't start there. So you've never seen it. I have not seen it. That surprises me. I know. Being the J-Lo, J-Lo head fan. you are. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, I've owned this movie on DVD for probably like over 10 years. But I it's have your not overlord. watched it yet. It's my <laughs> overlord. So clearly I need to pull it off the shelf. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like neo-noir in gigantic fucking air quotes like it's oliver stone saying do you get what i'm doing you know um i'm not a big sean penn guy me neither but he's playing such a loser and he gets his ass kicked so regularly that like not being a sean penn guy is kind of rewarding as you watch the movie (laughs) um jennifer lopez i can't decide i mean she's very good there's part of me that's like, is she miscast? I don't think she is, but it's the only time she's played this kind of a femme fatale role. And I just mm-hmm. don't know who are like modern day. I mean, this is a 25 year old movie sure. at this point, but like, I don't know. This was, you know, the year that she was making Selena and Anaconda. This was like right. her coming out party as an actor. Um, who are like the modern day femme fatales? I was going to actually ask you this question. Like, that's something I was thinking about on my way over here because I I think, like, the first one that comes to mind really just because of 
deep water is on it the armist, but I don't feel like she was even a true femme fatale no, in that movie, no, right? Like, no. so I, yeah, I struggle a little bit with that. I I feel like often the best femme fatales now are actresses that I haven't heard of or I'm less familiar with because I can't necessarily expect or anticipate who they're going to be. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit hard to come up with. I've seen Hillary Swank do it a few times. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah. Um, in the in the eighties and nineties, we had you know like Linda Fiorentino sure. and Ellen Barkin and Sharon Stone, and we had these Teresa Russell, these mm-hmm. people who could just fucking nail it in their sleep. And now I just don't feel like maybe because these parts aren't being written as well. Like I'm sure Eva Green could probably oh, yeah, she'd be great. do it very well. She kind of did it in Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, which isn't a very good movie, mm-hmm. but like she certainly pops. Um, so I don't know if Jennifer Lopez is my go-to for the femme fatale, but it's interesting seeing her play that kind of a part, especially this early in her career. Yeah, um, there are certainly a lot of moments where I wish Oliver Stone had gotten out of his own way a little bit with mm-hmm. the filmmaking because he's still in natural born killers mode where he's just like i need 12 shots when one will do and i'm mm-hmm. going to change the film stock and there's a bird <laughs> uh, and he's making a lot of movie yeah um but it's pretty wild it's very entertaining uh and it ends up being like kind of fun seeing all of these big names, including Oliver Stone, like doing what is essentially a genre exercise. Yeah. No, I definitely will have to check it out. I mean, I'm down for pretty much any 90s thriller, even if it's not that great, just because I love the atmosphere. So add all those big names in, even if it's a mess, I'll probably like it. So the next time we do this, instead of doing neo-noir, which we'll come back to, let's just do 90s thrillers. I'm into it. Because I do love a 90s thriller. Yeah. And there's some blurred lines in there. Sometimes it's oh, both, for sure. There were a few where I was like, "Does this count?" And right? I decided it didn't. But I'll save it for the yeah, thriller we'll show. It. Okay, It'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, my next pick is a movie from Australia. I realized actually partway through doing this that I think each of my movies is from a different country. Oh wow, so that's fun. You're so much more adventurous than me. I don't know about that. I just like to watch movies. Um, <laughs> This is one from 2020, and it's from Australia. Okay. And it stars Eric Bana, somebody who I probably should like more than I do. <laughs> That's how but, we all feel about Eric Bana. Like, he's really good in this, though. And the movie yeah. is called The Dry, um, okay. which is not a memorable title, but no. uh, basically, he Eric Bana stars as a detective, because, of course, because it's noir. Right. Um but this is like, I would call it like a daylight noir, meaning like it's not going to be a lot of long shadows or neon. It's more of a... I like daylight noir. Yeah. Like it's... I got one of those. It's cool. Um, it's the mood that's dark, not the actual scenery. Ah. So it's it takes place... He, he basically is going back to his hometown after being kind of like a big city cop, successful cop. And he's going back to his hometown for a funeral. And the funeral is for the family of his childhood best friend who by all appearances has done a murder suicide on his wife and one of his children so it's a tough one yeah um and when he gets there the parents of course remember him from being a kid and they're like can you just stay and like look into is there any way that he didn't actually do this 
because they don't really trust the local cops to have figured it out. And they can't accept that their son would have, you know, done something so horrific. Um, And so he decides to stay for a couple days. um, And then he starts kind of getting like these flashback memories of when he was a kid. And we find out that he was also friends with a girl who's around the same age. And she was murdered or died by suicide. Unclear. But it was never fully solved. But he was associated with it and was a suspect in that case. Oh. So then kind of the two cases become intertwined. Right, right. And it's a really – the reason it's called The Dry is because it takes place when there's been 355 days with no rain. And so everybody is just like, you know, it's hot. Mm-hmm. It's arid. It's – everything could combust at any moment, mm. including tempers. What? There's a lot of, you know, economic downturn. There are farms that are just like going under. Yikes. And so – all of those things kind of contribute to this sense of like oppressiveness in this small town. And I think small town noirs often work really well because if you've been in one or you're from one, everybody knows each other, everybody's in each other's business, but then there's also like the unspoken stuff that Mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about or the things that happen behind closed doors. And so I think that's what this movie is really good at. And Eric Bana is really compelling. Um, He's good as somebody who you want to think the best of, but you're also like, maybe he is capable of doing something bad. (laughs) And the same goes for some of the other characters. So I thought in terms of like the whodunitness, it did a really good job, but it also is just an interesting and unexplored story that I hadn't seen on screen before. Okay. Um, And yeah, I really liked it. It's directed by Robert Connolly. I got this one from the library, but I think you can rent it online. It appears to be you can buy it buy digitally. It. Okay. You cannot rent it. Well, go to your local library. So folks. I will be going to the library. Yeah, to it was see the really dry. good. Um, I highly recommend, and it's not one that you know I have heard people talking about. No, not uh, at all. When I looked on Letterboxd, a few people I know had watched it, but okay. it doesn't look like it's super widely seen. Wow. So, all yeah, right. well deserving. Thank you for the find. Yeah. Um. All right. My next one is the only I think new to me on the list, and that is a very. All my picks are very obvious. Um, this is from 1994. It's called China Moon. Oh, I love this one. Yeah, starring Ed, Ed Harris, Harris, Madeline Stowe, and a very young Benicio del Toro yeah. as Ed Harris's partner. Uh, it's directed by a guy named John Bailey, who was primarily a cinematographer. This Ooh. was his feature directing debut. It might literally be the only movie he directed. Um, I'm kind of looking right now, but I think... No, okay, he... Uh... Stage play. He did a movie called Mariette in Ecstasy. Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe, which was like the Lily Tomlin stage show. So this is maybe the only narrative feature that's widely Mm -hmm. available that he directed. Um, I had never seen it. I came to it because I realized while I had seen most of her filmography and always been a little indifferent... I realized last year when I was rewatching um, Tony Scott's Revenge that I'm a huge Madeline Stowe fan, and She's so yes, yeah, she is. So I was like, "Well, I haven't seen China Moon. I need to see China Moon." 
Um, and I think watching China Moon is what made me want to revisit this topic for a podcast because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this movie should be talked about. This is a really good little Florida noir. I think at least three of the movies on my list are set in Florida. Nice. Florida's not, a good place for a noir. A lot of bad shit goes down It's there. hot and it's evil, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not actually evil. But, <laughs> I don't know. It's debatable. <laughs> there are parts of it that are evil. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess maybe it's the heat or the humidity where they're know. just like everybody's always you know, everybody's four seconds away from stripping. Sued. Right. Yeah. Um, or just everybody saw body heat and they were sure. like, well, let's just do that. Uh, this definitely owes <clears throat> quite a bit to body heat. Um, Ed Harris plays a cop who falls in love with Madeline Stowe. She's married to Charles Dance. She hates being in her marriage. She kills him. And Ed Harris kind of has to uh, help her cover up the crime that then he also is investigating. Yeah. Uh, Which is an interesting twist that will pop up in another one of the movies that I picked for this uh, episode. Um, But again, just great atmosphere. Madeline Stowe gives good femme fatale without being a typical – She's not doing Barbara Stanwyck, you know, she's not, um, because you don't know kind of where she stands for most of the movie. Um, it's not about being tricked by someone or seduced by someone and forced to do their bidding. It's like, he's just in love with her and trying to help her. It's not the typical, like, I'm a stupid fool. Right. Tricked, you know, by my dick into Mm -hmm. killing someone for Madeline Stowe. Um, I myself have been tricked by my dick into killing someone for Madeline Stowe, but that's for another podcast. Um, it's really good. I, I, I don't really totally good. know what else to say about it, but it's one that I actually on various <clears throat> occasions have thought about writing for, you know, either putting in one of my noir columns or, oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. just writing about it on its own. So I'm really excited that you wanted to talk about it because yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I don't hear people talk about it. No. Ed Harris is somebody that I feel like doesn't get as much. I mean, people know who he is because, I mean, he's obviously in a ton of stuff. But I don't know. He's not in the conversation as much as he maybe should be. And then he's, Benicio is great in it. Benicio is great in it. And you can watch it and you can be like, oh, I know why somebody sees him and yeah. is like, ooh, who's that guy? You know, right. He's really interesting because it's like he's got that look where uh, – when he's young, I think he's more conventionally handsome, but he still has that weird thing where you're like, is he good looking? I can't figure it out. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think he it's is. It's that arrested but... development thing of is he homeless or is he just good <laughs> right, looking? Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. And Ed Harris is always good, but of course is the most intense person who he ever is. lived. Totally. And so he's bringing that energy to this movie. Um Charles Dance is very hateable, you know, as this evil, philandering husband. Mm-hmm. Um, the DVD or the Blu-ray, rather, is from Kino Lorber and is out of print. Oh. I did find one relatively inexpensively on eBay mm-hmm. and snagged a copy because I want it in my yeah. collection because it's really good. I'm surprised it's not made it onto one of those like neo noir box sets yet. Because I'm waiting like for another one be. of those. Yeah, come on already. Got to happen. Yes, they've only put two out so far, and I love them, They're and I great. want another one. Whoever is making those, you should listen to this podcast, and then for sure you should give Patrick a Paramount Plus subscription. <laughs> Thank he you. He still needs that, Thank and you, you should put China Moon out. 
Doug Ray Scott, now working at Paramount+. Plus. Exactly. For some reason, you can only stream Mission Impossible 2. Every title you select just goes, just, I'll watch Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, what, what's that movie called? Mutant, Mutant Mayhem. Mayhem. Yeah. And it goes automatically to well, Mission there's, Impossible there's 2. There's mayhem in Mission Impossible 2. There is. It's not really of the mutant variety, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, China Moon, good. 94, good. Filmed in 91, but apparently shelved for three years. I wonder why. That's interesting. Not a huge audience for this kind of movie in the 90s. That's true. Um, Ed Harris, more of like a character actor than a movie star. Yeah. Madeline Stowe, great, but not necessarily box office draw. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for years, confused this movie with Bitter Moon, the Roman Polanski movie. Which is movie. definitely not the same thing, but I, no. did this, I did that too. And I've seen both of them now, yeah. and they're very different movies. They are very different movies. Both decent, though. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I like yeah. Bitter Moon as well, but it's it's different. It is different. Um, but I could see them both like the cover boxes, but I yeah. would mix up the titles all the time. Uh, so I've had this movie in my head for decades, but I'm glad to have finally seen yeah. it. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I remember thinking it reminded me a little bit <clears throat> of uh, The Man Who Cheated Himself, which is a movie with Lee Cobb from okay. Haven't seen like him. the 50s, I want to say. Okay. Um, and it's a similar sort of setup because he's a cop who is seeing a woman who's married, and then the woman shoots her husband with his gun. Yeah, that's um, the exact same. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's mentioned as like a you know credit or not. But and then of course he is. I don't remember if it's him that's investigating it in that movie or if it's his brother because his brother's also a cop. But okay. either way, he's like trying to help her cover it up, but he's also kind of in the spotlight. And, yeah, yeah. So good Sounds double feature. Sounds very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, your third pick. All right, so my third pick is from Singapore. Wow. Um, and it is. The globe. I know. Um, <laughs> it is also on Netflix. I think. Let me double check my notes on that. Okay. I think it is. I'm so impressed that you have notes. Well, it's called a screenshot. Um, <laughs> yes, it's on Netflix. It's okay. called A Land Imagined. Okay. And this one actually does have some neon in it. I had to have some neon in sure. one of my noirs. Yeah, neon noir. Neon noir. Um, so this is a kind of like a story that I had no good entry point into, but I had seen this come up on a few lists of um, international noirs that you know I was like trying to find ideas for, and it's really interesting. So the story is basically a cop in Singapore who is investigating the disappearance of. A immigrant worker, uh, a, a Chinese migrant worker who worked on this construction site. And the construction site is a place where they do land reclamation, which basically is obviously Singapore is an island. Yeah. Obviously. But it's being like built up, you know, business wise, and they want to continue to expand. And so this is something that's been happening since I think like the 60s or so. They just add more dirt. Like, literally, that's what they're doing. They're, like, adding sand and dirt to make the island bigger. Wow. And it's a whole industry. And there's a ton of people. The dirt adding industry? Yes. Wow. And they, like, import dirt from, like, Malaysia, India, Bangladesh, like, all these places. Okay. There's a ton of people that work there. A lot of them are migrants. And so this movie examines the disappearance of one of those people. And the cop, as he goes along, is realizing that the working conditions are horrible, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That the bosses, like, hold all these migrants' passports in the office in a locked box so they can't leave. And so he's trying to figure out this kind of, like, what happened to this guy. But he's also getting caught up in 
kind of the the duality of this guy's life because he during the day would go you know work construction but at night he would go to this cyber cafe that was open 24 hours and like play video games or whatever with people and he was also friends with this woman um whose name is guyi i'm sure i'm pronouncing that incorrectly but um she's a really good actress and she's phenomenal in this movie her name is mindy her character's name is mindy and she works at this cyber cafe but she also like you know, she also longs for a better life. So both of them kind of spend time together, imagine what it would be like to live somewhere else. One of the scenes that I really liked is a flashback to them, like taking the the truck that he has to drive because he's broken his arm at the job site. So all he can do right now is drive. So he has the truck, he takes it illegally from his, you know, work site and they drive to a beach and they imagine that they're on a Malaysian beach or on an Indian beach. They're like, we could be in any one of those countries right now because that sand underneath right, us is right. from there. And it's just a really, like, beautiful image. It's, you know, simple but poetic. You can see the neon lights on the skyline, like, reflecting off the ocean. Yeah. It's a really good, like, beautiful movie that I didn't expect. Okay. Um, it's not one that has, like, the most satisfying conclusion, I'll say. So mm. if you need, like, you know, resolution, you're not necessarily going to get an do. answer here. But if you go in with, like, that knowledge that maybe there's not a solution, you can probably guess you know, some of the things sure, that maybe sure, happened. Sure. Um, just enjoy the atmosphere and the dreamlikeness. I think it was probably very influenced by Ridley Scott and Blade Runner in okay. some aspects. Right. Not that it's like that Technicolor world or right. science fiction, right. but like that look Got it. definitely permeates certain scenes. Um, and it's just like very meditative. Wow. So, yeah. Only and Imagined. I recommend. Very cool. Look at you. Picking movies <laughs> no one's heard of. <laughs> That it, it's supposed to be underrated. So. <laughs> I know, but all of mine are pretty rated, um, uh, including this next one from 2000. This man only makes a movie every seven or eight years. Hmm. Uh, he is currently Academy Award nominated, so I felt like it was time to shine a spotlight on one Jonathan Glazer uh, and talk about Sexy Beast. Ooh, yeah, his first movie. Um, which I remember in 2000 being at the movies with Erica. We see this trailer. It's this movie, this British crime movie. Ben Kingsley looks like a badass. Yeah. Uh, it looks very compelling. And then the title comes up and I was like, well, I was not expecting that. <laughs> they literally could have called that movie anything and it would have surprised me yes. less than it being called Sexy Beast. Uh, but it stars Ray Winstone, previously mentioned. Hell yeah. As a sort of retired thief who's living in Spain uh, and just loving, like, laying by his pool. He loves his pool. He loves getting a tan. He's retired. He's enjoying retired life with his wife, who's a former adult film star. Uh, and their relationship is very, very sweet because more than once characters make mention of her past or Ben Kingsley in particular tries to make Ray Winstone, you know, feel bad about marrying to the being married to this woman who's mm -hmm. quote unquote been around. Um, and Ray Winstone is very protective and defensive yeah. of her, and it's great. Uh, anyway, Ben Kingsley shows up as a guy by the name of Don Logan, a tiny gangster who wants Ray Winstone to come back and do a job. And Ray Winstone doesn't want to do the job because he's retired and he likes his life, but. The pressure is on and nobody fucks with Don Logan. Um, the second half of the movie is kind of the heist sequence. 
Uh, Ian McShane plays a major role. I want to say this was the first time I'd really seen Ian McShane mm-hmm. in anything. And he, too, has one of those great faces that you yes. just can't forget. Uh, tons of style. Great use of the titular sexy beast imagery. This little <laughs> monster that lives yes. underground that pops up a few times. Ben Kingsley is like on another level. Great in this movie. Um, I just watched Peter Hyams' A Sound of Thunder. And Ben Kingsley is in that just fucking sleepwalking through the movie. And so I was like, oh, I, I when he's dialed in, he's so great. But he does take a lot of paycheck jobs. Yeah, um, he does. He, he's made like some Uwe Boll movies, I want to say. <laughs> and like, uh, he's not picky about his projects. Because listen, actors got to act. Everybody's got to work. But Sexy Beast is one of his great roles, I think. Uh, Don Logan is a great movie character. And I love Ray Winstone in this movie. as just a gangster who literally just wants to lay by his pool yes. and not be fucked with. Um, again, he's, he's a little bit out of shape. He's super tan. He's just like, he's over all of this. And this was maybe my introduction to Ray Winstone, even though I know he's been around since like... Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains, which mm-hmm. I remember watching years later and being like, "Oh my gosh, look how young Ray Winstone is in this movie!" But this was maybe my first time seeing him, and he's so great and he's such a presence on screen. You know, uh, I just really love everything about this movie. It's so good. Yeah. Um, one of the things I maybe I'm just saying this because I love Bob Hoskins, and maybe I've just you know got a longing to see a million Good Fridays, right, the right, Long right. Good Friday, or right. you know Mona Lisa. I could imagine Bob Hoskins in either the Windstone or the Kingsley role 100%. in this movie. One hundred percent, yeah. And I almost wish that we could have, but they are both yeah. perfect. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I have no detractions from this movie. It's fantastic. He could have played Ian McShane too. He really. could have absolutely, kind of... but it's that kind of move. Like to me, it's that kind of energy of like, yeah. if you like those Bob Hoskins noirs, yeah. you will like this. Yes, for sure. I love a good British noir. It's really, really good, um, and it's probably the most commercial and accessible movie that Jonathan Glazer has yeah. made. I still haven't seen The Zone of Interest. I haven't yet either. I do have a screener for it that I just haven't been able to bring myself to watch. I remember seeing Birth. I like rented the DVD from Netflix. I was unmoved by it at the time. Seen that one. Love Under the Skin. Like, love it. Um, I need to see it again because I didn't love it when I first saw it. <laughs> I know I'm which a bad is to- person. No, that, that but... doesn't make you a bad person. That's a hard movie to love. But there was a period in my life when I would like go to sleep every night watching Under the Skin. But what about that baby crying on the beach? <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's oh. awful, but it's such an amazing movie. Um, it's well made. I admire it. It just wasn't my cup of tea when I first saw it. But totally maybe I understandable. Like it now. I don't know. This appears to be streaming on Paramount Plus for those of you who have it. <laughs> Thank you, Doug Ray Scott. So as soon as you put it on, prepare to watch some John Woo. Um, the. Blu-ray is from Twilight Time, and they're no longer in business. But uh, get your hands on one if you can. Yeah, for sure. Well worth it. Yeah. Um, My next pick is from Paraguay. Wow. And it's from 2012. Okay. I first saw it on Canopy, but it appears to be on on Tubi now as well. Along with everything else. And on Peacock Premium, which we haven't mentioned yet. So What's Peacock Premium? Well, it's the one you pay for because there is a version with ads that you don't have to pay anything for. But then you can pay like, I don't know, $2.99, $5.99. I forget. We have 
Peacock. I have whichever one you pay for because I just give my credit card to whoever asks for it, apparently. (laughs) Doug Ray Scott. Promise of movies, yes. Um, So this movie, Seven Boxes, is the title. Um, It is a really fun movie. It's uh, basically set in this marketplace, and it's another hot day, so we love a good hot day noir. Yeah. Um, and basically it follows this 17 year old kid named Victor. Now Victor is trying to get money for a cell phone that takes pictures because this is set in, I think like 2005 and that's a big deal to him. He really wants a picture phone and one of his friends has one and will give him the phone if he can come up with a certain amount of money. Um, additionally, he really wants to be like a reality star or he really wants to like become famous and he's fixated on tv of any kind so he's like running through the market going to these different stalls and stores and anytime there's a screen he just like stops to watch (laughs) so that's like a fun little part of his character um he has a wheelbarrow that's like how he makes his money is he has this wheelbarrow and he tries to convince people to like let him move their stuff for a, a charge and so he gets a job of moving boxes from this restaurant that has the cops outside and they just need somebody to move the the boxes really fast. So he's like, listen, if you pay me enough money, I'll do it. And he takes the job not knowing what's in the boxes and just knowing where they need to go. And then this sits off a very wild chase of he's trying to get the boxes to where they belong without somebody stopping him, without the cops stopping him. There's another guy who is supposed to take this delivery that was there a few minutes late, and now he wants his payoff. So he's chasing the kid, and he's trying to get the boxes so that he can get the money. It's a whole thing. It's very entertaining. Um, I would say it's loosely noir. Like, okay. it is definitely in a noir atmosphere. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of, you know, underworld kind of stuff happening. And there's also that kind of hint of, like dark humor to it i would say too but it's also just a fun action movie Mm. like a lot of you know just ducking in and out of stalls and things like that and um it was very entertaining to watch because it's not a world i am super familiar with and it was you know it's just interesting and the way that it ends up which i won't give away is a really great ending like it it's a perfect ending to this movie nice um so yeah seven boxes okay watch it love it doug ray scott put it on paramount <laughs> then um, i can't watch it well I don't have you have to so i do have to be everybody's got to be yeah i should mention who directed it so it's juan carlos Meneglia and Tana Shimbori are the directors. Okay. And uh, Celso Franco stars as Victor. So I don't know if he's done a lot of other stuff, but yeah, not really familiar. good movie. Okay. I appreciate you finding these kind of deep cuts because mine are the not. The next one will be like slightly more accessible, but well, that's okay. They're all viewable. Right. So. Exactly. You're telling us where to find them and uh, movies that I think are not on people's radar. Yeah. All of mine are like movies that everybody's heard of. No, so. I love yours. They're great. Uh, my fourth is a movie that like, again, it's, it's a super obvious pick, but like when you look up, you know, you start searching around underrated Mm neo-noir, Carl Franklin comes up a lot. Yeah. Uh, because he makes, um, one false move, which is on every list of underrated neo-noir. Then he makes devil in a blue dress, which Which is is amazing uh, on every list of underrated Mm neo-noir. The movie that's not on every list of underrated neo-noir that I was like, oh, I think I'll pick this one is Out of Time, uh, Ooh, the Denzel, Denzel Washington yeah. 
pairing from 2003, uh, Daytime Noir, mm-hmm. Florida Noir. Yep. Sonata Lathan is married to Dean Kane. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which is just, I forgot that Dean Kane had like a role in a movie in the 2000s. Don't that add wasn't, us, bro. Like, didn't have a, a talking dog in it or something right. from Lifetime. <laughs> um, so, but she's in love with Denzel Washington, who is like the, you know, the sheriff of this town. Uh, he's getting a divorce from Eva Mendez because life is unfair and doesn't work out the way sure. we hope. Um, and uh, Sanaa Lathan, I, uh, minor spoilers going forward, uh, dies in a fire. Oh, no. And um, suddenly it looks like Denzel might have killed her to collect on some insurance money. He also borrowed a bunch of money from evidence to give to her that also burned up in the fire. So now he's <laughs> so oh, Denzel. he's really under the gun on a couple of different fronts. And it's another situation where he has to investigate his own crime um, and everybody's looking at him and he's got to stay one step ahead. Uh, just really, really, I, I, I will admit to being somebody who kind of hates the innocent man wrongly accused mm. movie because it makes me so upset and uncomfortable. Um, but this is a good version of that because he's not exactly wrongly accused. That hasn't happened yet. You sure. know, he's an innocent man trying to prove that he's innocent before he can be accused of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eva Mendes is also a cop or possibly an FBI agent and she starts investigating. So now she's looking into him He's looking into himself. Um, there's a really good uh, sequence where they're he and another guy are dangling from a balcony. Um, that's very memorable. That's Love a good balcony dangle. One of the one of the images I remember from the trailer. Um, but just uh, you know, Devil in a Blue Dress gets mentioned so much, and this one doesn't. Yeah. And I think it's Carl Franklin doing good neo noir yet again. Um, I really like the relationship between him and Eva Mendes. As this couple that's sort of breaking up but starting to question, like, if they should be hmm. uh, at the same time that he's in love with this other woman who's married and possibly, you know, uh, being investigated for her murder. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's really good. It's it's streaming on HBO Max if you have that. But, I do. Yeah. Because I canceled Paramount Plus because so I can get HBO Max Paramount so that I can watch Plus. True Detective. Have you seen Out of Time? I have not. Okay, good. It's on my list, good, and good, good. I am glad you mentioned it because yeah. I had heard mixed things about it before, I think. Yeah. But I mean, I, I knew eventually I was going to get around to it because I love Denzel and I love, you know, Really Kyle good Franklin, Denzel. So. Um, I think Adam recently did a 2K replay on it and was a little more lukewarm on it than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, because watching it for this episode, I was like, no, this is really, really solid for me. Yeah. I'm not questioning adam's feelings about it but uh for me this was really really solid yeah that sounds like a really good one to watch yeah i'm gonna have to check that out for sure for sure i love those other two franklins like i mean they're so good this isn't on any time and be just in heaven this isn't those (laughs) like it's this is a little more attempting to be commercial i think yeah um but i don't think it compromises Mm -hmm. i think it does all the same 
stuff we like in these kinds of neo-noir and Denzel is so compelling as this guy who's having to stay one step ahead of everyone around him and yeah. uh, his his like second in command or his best friend is played by John Billingsley who is this great character actor that I know you're not a Star Trek person but he played Dr. Flox on Star okay. Trek Enterprise uh, and he's a lot of fun uh, as kind of the, you know, comic relief. Sure. Yeah. Every good movie needs one of those. Of so, course. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. I'm yeah, going to have to check it out. Good. Um, my number one, I didn't go in order, but my, <laughs> my last pick, uh, which is um, one that I actually watched not once but twice in November. Hey, now. Is Croupier, um, which oh, was... The first Clive Owen movie, at least the first one I'm aware of, um, and he starts the movie off with bleach blonde hair, which is not what I was expecting. (laughs) Very fun. It's directed by Mike Hodges. This one is from England, so Patrick and I both have a British noir on our list. I love that. (laughs) Um, So Croupier is um, the, I guess, maybe it's a normal word, but it's the British (laughs) word. For like a blackjack dealer, basically. Right, right. Um, I didn't know what it meant, so I'm a noob, but whatever. <laughs> um, I don't gamble, so I don't no. know. But basically, uh, he plays – Clive Owen plays Jack, who is a writer, and he wants to have a hit novel. But the publisher doesn't really want his ideas of like authentically – good or original things they want him to just write like what they want the guy is like oh i i want like a movie about a soccer star and so he's like oh great now i have to write a a novel about a soccer star like barton fink yeah exactly and he's just like feeling very uninspired by this but he needs money his dad is kind of a, you know, it seems like a not the greatest person, but calls him one day and is like, hey, I know you need money. I know somebody at this casino. I've arranged a job interview for you. And he's like, I don't want to work in a casino. You're a gambler. I don't want to be around it. But of course, he goes to the interview. He gets it. He he grew up in casinos because his dad was a gambler chronically. Okay. And he never gambles himself. So... He just like watches all the behaviors of the people. And while I don't really gamble and I'm not really a card shark at all, I love movies about people playing cards for some reason. Don't know what that's about, but I I will watch 21. I will watch, you know. Rounders. Rounders, of course. Like mentioned. Anything poker related, I'm like, I kind of want to watch this. I'm fascinated. I like, I'm with you. I like those movies and I, I, not 21, I haven't seen 21, but um. I like card movies. I get very uncomfortable with like degenerate gambler movies mm. because I have a hard time with people who are like throwing, throwing it all their, away. Yeah. Uh, it upsets me a lot. I understand. <laughs> if I know that at the end they're going to win everything and yeah. it has a happy ending, I'm okay with that. But it rarely does happen right. that way. And if it does, that's kind of a cop out because that's yeah. not really what happens not really in what life. Happens. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, thankfully in this movie, he's still sticks with his no gambling thing. Okay. But he, of course, meets a woman, even though he's with a woman. Um, I should mention he is, his girlfriend at the beginning is played by Kate Hardy. Okay. And then, um, I think the name of the woman that he gets sort of involved with or is attracted to is Alex Kingston, who... Hmm. I don't know if that's a familiar name. It wasn't for me, but it's she's not, no. been in a few other things. But in any case, you know, he's 
He's attracted to her alluring nature, and so he starts kind of like talking to her on the side, even though he's not supposed to talk to any of his customers outside of work. Okay. And she, at some point, sort of tells him about this scheme that she is involved in where she like needs money, and she knows these people that are going to hit the casino, and she doesn't need him to do a lot. He just needs to like go along with the scene. And so that's kind of like where I would probably say I'll stop my summary of what happens. Okay. But it's very interesting how it all plays out. And the whole thing, you have to be okay with voiceover because there's a lot of voiceover narration. But I think Clive Owen is the perfect sort of noir character, noir mm-hmm. protagonist, mm-hmm. Um, because he is a little bit of a cipher and mm-hmm. also he's very suave, yeah. which are two things that go very well in noir. Sure. Um, and so it's... It's a movie that kind of is about human nature and exposing like where we're willing to go when we probably know better. Um, and it's also a little bit of a meta narrative about his writer character because he starts out as the writer and then it kind of goes into he's writing a book about his character who's at the casino. So there's a little bit of duality there. But okay. in any case, I really liked this movie. Like I said, I watched it twice in November because wow. I was like, I really dig this. And I don't really hear people talk about it much. It's directed by Mike Hodges, who's probably better known for the Get Carter remake. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also Flash Gordon, which I have not seen, but I don't think it's a noir. Uh, um, I, I have seen and love Flash Gordon. Sure. You're not going to believe this. Uh, well. But it's streaming on Paramount Plus. <laughs> no. <laughs> but apparently it's also on Tubi, Canopy, Voodoo Free. And freebie, so like well, there you go. anywhere you can anywhere stream you a movie, you can you find creepy. And it's been on my radar since 1998. It's like really good, I Patrick. knew of it, you I would like it. I knew who Clive Owen was before I ever saw them him in anything because I was like, oh, that's the guy from Croupier. Like yeah. I, I knew the movie, um, but I still have never seen it. But I'm totally going to because it's, it's very really accessible. Good, yeah, I liked it a lot. Okay, awesome. Uh, my fifth and final choice is another late 90s noir that I saw in theaters in the late 90s and, again, didn't think much of because I just think I didn't have a great feel for Mm neo-noir. And, like, I just was kind of like, eh. Uh, And so I revisited it about a week ago and thought it was a lot of fun. Um, It's directed... I was trying to – I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce the name Volker Schlondorf. Well, that's a name. <laughs> it is me, Volker Schlondorf. <laughs> I make a movie. Uh, it's called Palmetto. Oh, I it's have heard of this, but I've not seen it. Another Florida noir. Love it. Three of my five are Florida noir. Um, Woody Harrelson stars as a guy who just got out of jail, so you got to love an ex-con in a yeah. noir um, who falls into – a uh, kidnapping scheme. Uh, and Woody Harrelson is just a pretty good noir protagonist because he seems dumb enough to go along with stuff, sure. but also has a bit of like a remove where he, he could, he can see the puzzle pieces falling into place. Right. He's, he's both smart enough and dumb enough. Dumb enough to go along with it, but smart enough to maybe find his way out of it. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about Palmetto is that they they wrote down, they cast some people, mm-hmm. and then they wrote their names down on paper and threw 
them up in the air. And wherever they landed, <laughs> that's who played the part. So you have Gina Gershon. Love. 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 Perfect femme fatale. Yes. Not playing the femme fatale. Interesting. Playing Woody Harrelson's longtime girlfriend who's okay. like there for him. When he gets out of jail, the first thing she does is like lick his shoulder and ear. It's a horny movie. That's very Gershon. With no sex in it. Mm. There's no actual sex on screen, which is maybe a shortcoming of the movie because mm-hmm. I actually think it could have used a little bit. Uh, but it's a super horny movie. Playing the femme fatale is Elizabeth Shue. What? Exactly. So if they had switched roles. He's a head scratcher. You would have been like, this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Of course, Elizabeth Shue is the nice girl that yes. is running this art business and wants him to be on the up and up. And Gina Gershon is the woman who's seducing him and trying to get him to go along with this yeah. uh, kidnapping scheme. Uh, instead, they flip. and But that it kind of makes it interesting that yeah. they flip. And Elizabeth Shue, you know. I mean, she's great. She gives it her all. She is great. Yeah. She's not who you immediately think of. Well, if the shoe fits. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Could it stop myself? Oh, dear. Well, I really Apologies wish it stopped to mark there. On. No, it's fine. Um, and then uh, the object of the kidnapping is meant to be Elizabeth Shoe's. She's married to an older, wealthy man who has – she has a stepdaughter mm-hmm. who's played by Chloe Sevigny, who I love. Yeah. Uh, and she's giving great sort of Lolita vibes because she's supposed to be – I mean, I, this is a 25-year-old movie sure. too. So I guess she's supposed to be not even 18 yet. Um, and uh, I won't say where the movie goes, but it takes twists that you don't necessarily see coming. It's cleverly written. I want to say it's based on a book. Uh, it is. It's based on a 1961 book Ooh. called Just Another Sucker. Um, but it's written by E. Max Fry, who wrote Something Wild. Oh, yeah. Uh, and wrote and directed Amos and Andrew, which is like not a great movie, but it's Nicolas Cage and Samuel L. Jackson. Sure. So, of course, I like it. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of like really surprised at how well Palmetto held up and how wrong I was about it in 1998. Is it streaming on Paramount Plus? <laughs> I don't think so. It's rentable digitally in standard def. Okay. I'm not picky. There is a Blu-ray that you can pick up for like 10 bucks from Warner Archive. Okay. Uh, and you can watch it in HD. I don't have the Blu-ray. I had to do an interlibrary loan to see the movie. Nice. That's how <laughs> so, you know you care. I worked hard yes. to revisit This Palmetto. is what Patrick goes through for That's people. right. <laughs> um, but it's one that's probably off some people's radar. Yeah. You know, I think people know, like you, they know the title. I've because heard it, of it, but I can't say that it ever theaters. was on my radar to like watch. So now I'm really going to track it down i'm sure i went to see it because i was hoping like elizabeth shoe would have sex like yeah. in well, 1998 yeah. <laughs> i was like hey maybe uh and it doesn't happen but she's she's good in the movie um everybody's good woody harrelson you know is somebody who i never think of as like an actor i really like yeah but then every time you see him in something you're like woody harrelson is He's very likable really, really likable yeah, yeah he I is mean, you know cheers you gotta oh for sure and believably sort of flawed Mm -hmm. in this movie you know um yeah good cast 
Michael Rappaport shows up mm-hmm. uh, as a scumbag, and uh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. But good cast, good movie. I like it. It sounds really awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah, check yeah. that out. Yeah, Thanks you should. The wreck. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Those are our ten. Thank you again for going as deep as you did. Hell yeah. You searched far and wide for some titles that were I've never heard of. It's a delightful journey for it me. It is. This is really your area of expertise. So I'm a little bit uh, handcuffed by my own ignorance when we do these shows. I feel uh, like I'm letting you down. Not at all. <laughs> and you still came up with stuff that I hadn't seen. So, I mean, obviously. You yeah, but it was right like because you haven't seen Out of Time yet. Not because you're like, what's Out of Time? I've never heard of Out of Time. Yeah. You know. I should see it. And you own U-Turn. I do own U-Turn. Okay. So I need to get on that. Well. I have some movies to watch. <laughs> yeah. I would say watch Out of Time because mm-hmm. it's on HBO Max. Sure. Then watch Palmetto. Sure. And then when you get to it, you watch too. U-Turn. <laughs> yeah, U-Turn. And I'll save the last eight minutes for right before I'm going to do a podcast. Please do. <laughs> Please definitely do. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, go to fthismovie.com every day for cool movie shit. Email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. On Facebook, YouTube for reserved seating every Thursday, Uh, new podcasts every Wednesday. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I don't know why I waited till the end to be like, (laughs) maybe this is someone's first time. Sure. It's Doug Ray Scott's first time listening. It is. Um, And uh, at this movie fest announcement coming soon. We'll see when it happens, but it is coming soon. So those of you who are waiting for that to happen, I promise it's coming soon. Uh, and as mentioned at the beginning of the show, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash F this movie. Join up to hear Rosalie and I talking about Blast from the Past. Thank you again for doing this show. This this is one of my favorite shows to do because I get to watch a lot of movies that I really, really like. Yay! Me too. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.